Well, good morning, everyone, again. It's good to see you. I hope uh, all of you were able to benefit with that extra hour you got last night. I know I did. It's, uh, it's uh, a good time to, to do something extra with that hour. For me, it's probably just to go to sleep at my age. <laughs> uh, I was traveling up in uh, Seattle area with my wife about a little over a week ago, and I had a chance to visit with friends up in Seattle at Lighthouse Christian Church, and it was a good time for me to, to spend time with them. Uh, one of my friends up there always kinds, kinds of encouraged me with the, the advantages of living in the Pacific Northwest. I always tell them it's just too cold for me to be up there, and it's too foggy, and it's too wet. And, and, and it was foggy, wet, and cold uh, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, she was telling me, it's amazing, right, to see the fall colors here? And then I said, well, <laughs> they are kind of colorful, but it's a reminder for me that fall is here and winter's not too far behind. So I guess I have kind of a pessimistic look at, at things. But I had a great time uh, yesterday with the extra hour because it allowed me to rest from a long day in San Francisco. I went to San Francisco with my family to, to have... Uh, tea and dim sum with my mother, who was celebrating her, I think it was her 83rd birthday yesterday. So it was kind of fun to be with family. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to talk about family, about a spiritual family called the church. And I don't know if the church gives you warm, fuzzy feelings or it gives you some other kind of feelings. And, and that's what we're going to wrestle with today. Uh, we're in the midst of a series that we've called Multiply, based on a book by, by Francis Chan. And Francis Chan has this quote. He says, I love Jesus, I hate the church. We can't say that. He says, I love Jesus, I hate the church, and we can't say that. Those words, I love Jesus, I hate the church, could have been words that I actually said back in 1982. That was a long time ago, but when I first accepted Christ, it came in 1982, but my attitude was, I love Jesus and I hate the church. Because that was based on some, some bias, probably some baggage that I had with some, some churches that I had visited and my experiences at those ch- churches as not being very relevant to me. Also, with some of the people that I was running with, uh, their walk, as they said they were Christians, didn't really jive with what I was reading in the scriptures. Uh, their hypocrisy kind of turned me off to the whole church, church scene. So after my, my conversion, I was having this attitude that I could be a Christian without the church. I could do it all by myself. And it wasn't until a few years later when I came to, to this church, Christian Layman Church, when I walked through the doors, I actually found a church that really resonated with me. It was a church that had people who actually came up to me and genuinely cared for me and loved me. And it was a place where I finally found something that was relevant in my life. I saw God here, and I found a spiritual home to grow in and eventually raise a family in. Scripture tells us there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. We are meant to be part of the church and also of a local church. 
Over and over again, the words we find in the commands that Jesus gives to us, he gives us these words, one another. One another. In many of his commands, he tells us to do something to one another. And you can't do something to one another all by yourself. It requires someone else to be part of that equation. Jesus gave gave us this church, gave us the church, the Great Commission. The Great Commission being to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here at Christian Layman Church, if you've been here long enough, you've heard this saying. We want people to be seen, people to feel loved, and lives to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Again, that saying is, we want God to be seen, people to feel loved, and lives to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church where this is happening all around us. We want that to be happening in service today, right here this morning, in our homes, at our workplaces, in our schools, and in our neighborhoods. And it's my belief that if all three of these things are happening, then the Great Commission will be accomplished. So let's break it down one at a time. And there is a particular order to these three things. They each have to come in this order or the final result does not, does not happen. And the first thing that needs to be, uh, take place is that Christian Layman Church will be a place where God is seen. It is critical that God is seen. Whether it's by me, you, everybody here, it has to be seen. God has to be seen. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3, 4 says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now, that, that's a wonderful scripture verses to me. It states right there that God has to be seen. God is called by three names there. Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of compassion, and God of comfort. Those three names in one, the first name being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't see God unless we know Jesus Christ. It is through the efforts of what Jesus did for us that we can see God. He came here in man form so that we could understand who God is. And in the latter two names, it reminds us of the great gift and blessing that God gives to us. He gives us his compassion, and he gives us comfort. God is seen in biblical teaching. God is seen in answered prayers. And God is seen in real experiences that we have with encounters with God through the Holy Spirit. And that's my question. Have you ever truly experienced God? Have you ever experienced his compassion and his comfort? Do you want to? Do you want to see God in that way? I encourage you, if you do, you just have to ask. Ask God that you want to see him and that you want to experience his comfort and his compassion. As I said, yesterday I was back in San Francisco and I was visiting with my mom for her birthday. And when I was going th- through some stuff that I have at, at my house, 
back in the city, I found this book. Okay, it's a pretty ordinary-looking book. And, and this book is very significant to me because it's a representation of God's answer to my prayer. It was a sign of his compassion and comfort to me. I told you when, when I was uh, uh, accepting Christ in 82, it was a result of door-to-door evangelists who came to my apartment. So I wasn't converted. I wasn't witnessed to in a church setting. I wasn't in a small group. It was actually door-to-door evangelists who came to my apartment in San Francisco. And at, during that time, I had a very, it was a very dark time in my life. I was very discouraged. I was depressed. And when this couple came to my door and they asked me this question, do you want to know Jesus? And they gave me this book. This book is the Bible. And on the back of the book, I read this scripture verse. Come to me, all, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. That's from Matthew 11, verse 28. Those words, immediately when I read those, released the depression, the uh, sadness that was in, in my heart. And at that moment, the peace of God came to me. It comforted me, and I experienced his amazing grace and mercy. I will never forget that experience to the day I die, that almost miraculous answer to prayer where I, being lonely and sitting in my apartment, said, God, please come save me. And he answered my prayer, and I saw God, Rather, whether it's in a this form of this book, that scripture verse, or that feeling that I felt as soon as I read those verses to myself. I experienced truly what God had for me at that moment was his comfort and his compassion. And if it happened for me, and that's why I encourage you, if you just ask, if you ask God to come to you and so that you may see him and you may experience his comfort and his compassion, he will be faithful and he will answer that prayer for you. Because it's, it's really critical for us to be able to see God. We're going to be able, have to experience his compassion and his comfort to be able to do that. Are you carrying heavy loads this morning? Well, God is ready to comfort you. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 4 continues. It says there in the scripture, God comforts us in all our troubles. And it, it doesn't end there. We are comf- comforted particularly for a reason. And it says there clearly in scripture, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. We, we receive compassion from God so that we can share compassion with others. It doesn't stop with us. The comfort and the compassion, the love from God is meant to be passed on. But we can't pass on anything that we have never experienced ourselves. So you understand, this is the most critical step of having a transformed life, is that we must first experience God. And when we experience God, we receive his compassion and his comfort. And it's from that experience we can then turn around and do the second step. Remember what I said. We want God to be seen. 
And the second thing we want is people to feel loved. We cannot love people if we have not experienced love ourselves. And if we are to be spiritual people, we cannot love others in the way God wants us to love them unless we have seen God, experienced God, experienced the comfort and compassion that he has for us so that we can give it to someone else. So the second thing we want is a Christian name church be a place where people feel loved. During his last hours before he was arrested, Jesus spent his most intimate time with his disciples. He spent hours that evening in an upper room having a simple meal, but he was also laying out his heart to his, his 12 disciples, the final instructions that he would have for them before he departed. And he said to them these words in John 13, verses 34 to 35. He says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one, love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In those scripture verses, love one another is said three times. Remember earlier he said that's part of Jesus' commands. Many of it is to love one another, to do something for one another. And you can't do that alone. You can only do that in a church family. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Three times it's repeated in this command. And how are we to tangibly love somebody? I mean, it can come in many forms. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 6, verse 2, he says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens, and then you will fulfill the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? It's to love your neighbor, to love one another. To have people feel loved is to come alongside them, when they have burdens. The scripture tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who, who mourn. And that's been my experience in being in part of this church and part of the Christian family. I have experienced coming alongside others when they rejoice and also others coming alongside me when I am mourning. When, when Terry and I got married, it, I don't know how anyone could pull off a, a wedding event without a church family. I mean, it's amazing the friends and circle of friends that they would rally around you and, and help you plan and also to implement all those logistics that have to happen on a wedding day. And Terry and I were appreciative of that. And, and also it just makes it a, so much of a joyous occasion to have a church family as part of your support group and carrying your burdens through that particular day. Now, that's one end of the spectrum. And on the flip side, on the other uh, side of the spectrum, is when Terry and I were mourning back in 2006. Both of us lost a parent. I mean, that was a difficult year. But also, it was also um, comforting to have a church family who would come to our side and, and just be with us during a very difficult time in our lives when a loved one passed away. Recently, uh, when I was up in, in Seattle, one of my friends was sharing a story about one of our leaders here, a member of our church. And, and this was maybe 15 years ago, maybe even 20. Uh, the story was about this person who was leading a, a small group of women. It was kind of a, 
a discipleship group. And, and during this one session, the women were sharing stories about their lifestyles before they became Christians, before they, they uh, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They, they shared about doing things that probably wouldn't be uh, acceptable as Christians anymore. And one woman said, I think I need to get t- tested for HIV. Now, in a Christian family, when, when you hear something like that, what's really good is that we don't judge one another, that we don't um, point fingers or call somebody, you know, that's really sinful. This leader, this woman said, you know, because you have to go do that to support you, to come alongside you, to live out what Galatians 6 verses 2 says, to, to carry one another's burdens, we're all going to go with you, and we're all going to get tested for HIV. For me, that was a great story of the willingness to be, one, vulnerable, but second, also then to, to be supportive and not judge, but also come with compassion and comfort when one person is in the midst of our family is going through something difficult that we would come alongside and do likewise for them. Is God calling you this day to come alongside someone in your circles of relationships to help carry their burdens? Will you have the faith and the obedience to do so? I have a challenge that it would be kind of Neat that as, as a church that we would ever so often check in with someone, even right after service, just go find somebody that you know and ask them, can I pray for you this day? And that would be a great way of allowing God to work. And remember I said, God shows up, it answered prayers. If you want God to be seen, pray And when prayers are answered, you will see God. So I encourage you, if you could do that, find a friend, even someone you may not have known before, even a new friend, and ask them, is there something I can pray for you? And pray for them immediately, right after service. During this week, take a little time maybe, write a note to someone that you know and ask them, is there anything I can pray for you? Or if you know something that someone is going through a difficult time right now, write a note and say, I'm praying for you. Remember, prayer is one way of seeing God. And I'm encouraging us to be able to live out our faith in a way that we would experience not only the comfort and compassion of God, but also to be able to share it with others. We want God to be seen people to feel loved, and finally, the third thing we want to have happen at Christian Lehman Church is that we want lives to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's actually the most important thing to happen. If that doesn't happen, then we're nothing more than a social club. If there's no life transformation, if there is no power of people changing, then we're no better than a social club.
Ezekiel 36, verse 26 through 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's a wonderful scripture of transformation. I heard that last week, last Sunday, because the couple who came to teach at the parenting seminar shared that, that, that scripture verse. And they, they said that they prayed that for their children every single day. And that is an amazing uh, scripture verse to pray for your children, that they will have a new heart and that God would put a new spirit in place of the old heart, will change heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And I would put my spirit in you so that you may move to, be moved to follow my decrees. That scripture points out that, that we can't really do anything on our own. That the transformation of our hearts is by God himself. And that when he puts the Holy Spirit into us, the Spirit into the heart, that allows us to be able to obey his commands. If we try to obey his commands on our own efforts, we can't do it. It's only by the hand of God by giving us his spirit, we can then have the motivation and the ability to obey his commands. So if you're trying to do this on your own without God, if you're trying to do this without having the opportunity to see God and not having received his compassion and his comfort, it's impossible to obey his commands. It's just going to fail. God says... He will transform our hearts. He will put his spirit into us. And it's through his spirit we will have the ability to obey and live a life that he has called us to. It's a beautiful picture of transformation by God. Stone to flesh. And unless there is life change and transformation, as I said, we are merely a social club. If lives are changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ then the Great Commission is accomplished. And that is our goal. It's the urgency and the priority of the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And that's the purpose Jesus has given to us. And in Ephesians 4, Apostle Paul talks about this in verses 11 through 13. He says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, that being Jesus, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Those scripture verses, Paul says, some of us have been given so-called leadership gifts, And as these gifts have been given to us, they are to lead the people so that they may be equipped to to, to, um, do works of service, but also, most importantly, so that we would all become mature, that we all grow up together, not to stay like little infants, but to progress to, to being mature Christians. And whenever we want to build something, whenever you venture to build a home, build a business, uh, whatever, you need a plan, right? 
you just can't do it haphazardly. You have to kind of have some sort of idea of where you want to go, some sort of uh, structural plans, uh, financial plans, whatever, to, to, to make sure that whatever you're trying to build is accomplished. And so to build the body of Christ up, as the Apostle Paul mentions here, we do need a plan. And for our church, our leaders are working on a spiritual formation process called fusion. So I'm going to introduce to you this, this spiritual continuum called fusion. If you uh, look in your programs, there's a handout that's placed in there. If you want to pull it out, I'm going to quickly go through this. And this may be, for some of you, the first time you've heard this. Some of our leadership circles, you've already seen this. Uh, It's something that I've been working on and uh, been sharing with many, many uh, of our leaders. It has on the top, Christian Layman Church, our mission is to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. And we have a vision that the church will become a place where it has thriving community, discipleship culture, and a compassionate outreach. And we have 10 professed values. And you can see it's color-coded. There are three distinctives in, in our, our vision about being a thriving community, and it's supported primarily by three of these values. One is its relation, that we are relational that we will also work in teams, and that we will be intergenerational. The second part of our vision is that we would be part of a, uh, a church that is uh, strong in discipleship culture. And they are supported by, by four values, that we would have a passion for Christ, that we would always have biblical teaching, that we would have the power of God evident in our church, and that mentoring will be a... Uh, common thing happening in our church. And then the third area of our vision is that we would have compassionate outreach. And it's supported by three uh, particular values, and that is that we would be known for our generosity, that we would have a kingdom mission mindset, and we would also be uh, compassionate globally. And then we, most importantly, uh, we would be relevant that we would resonate with God and with man, that whatever we do here would resonate with God and with man. And fusion is a plan to to accomplish this. It's turning first-time guests into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And you see there, there's a kind of a schematic of a a, a spectrum of of where people could be on the journey of seeking after God, ranging from one end of being a skeptic all the way to being a world changer. And it recycles back to making more disciples. And that's the whole point of our Multiply series, is that we've been called not just to be disciples, but we have been called to be disciple makers. And if you actually think about it, being a disciple maker doesn't happen unless we are able to make great-grandchildren in spiritual family. Because I could train somebody, and they, they can be a very good facilitator, a very good um, small group leader, but if they don't multiply themselves, they're not a disciple-maker. And, and if I do train somebody who can be a disciple-maker, who then multiplies themselves to, to have, a, for me, a grandchild in the spiritual faith, it doesn't mean anything because it could end there because you need a great-grandchild. So that the, 
disciple maker that I train trains the disciple maker who trains, then you know you have the proper progression in the whole line. The schematic here in this whole fusion has different dynamics. I've listed some samplings of some of the things that we do in our church that, that support um, the three parts of our vision. That's why there's a color-coded uh, examples there to fall where they line up. And it just gives you an idea of what we're trying to accomplish here. If you look at this, everything we do should fit in this matrix. If it doesn't fit in this matrix, then we shouldn't be doing it. And what's kind of neat about this, it applies not only for adults, but it can apply for youth and children. So it kind of one size fits all. And you'll be seeing this more and more in the future as you learn and become part uh, of our church community of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. At this time, I wanted to show you a, a video, and it's a testimony by uh, Don Ewan, and it's about how church community, how church family was important in carrying him through a difficult time in his life, and how Galatians 6.2 is enacted by others carrying the burden with him. Hi, my name is Don Ewan, and I'm going to share with you uh, my recent journey, which is really a lesson in the sovereignty of God and the importance of community. Uh, leading up to this point, uh, I'd have to say, um, you know, I was a person in my mid-50s. I was fairly cynical and withdrawn because I just realized I was sort of in the sunset of my career and had been through uh, a fairly ugly conflict with, uh, with my stepmother. Uh, this all became to a head more recently uh, when we actually got into a conflict with our daughter over some decisions that she was making uh, in her life that Doris and I, quite frankly, did not agree with. And we ended up spending a fair amount of time arguing back and forth and really not trusting each other. But what this really did is it really put the focus and uh, really upon me as a leader of our family to really try to negotiate through this and leave our family uh, and our community in a healthy state. Uh, and rather than coming up with an answer of my own, um, I really observed that it was God who responded in this situation. And he did this in a couple of different ways. First and foremost, he really surrounded us with some families who were willing to disciple us. Uh, they walked really side by side with us through this situation, uh, listened to us, uh, provided us some counsel based on their own experience, asked us probing questions, but never really told us, essentially, if there was a right or wrong answer. They let us come to those conclusions on ourselves, and, and honestly, um, I think they were waiting for God to, to speak to us in those situations. Uh, the second was um, through Scripture. Uh, you know, in service, we uh, went through a series that talked about relationships, community relationships, relationships in the family, and what God's intent is uh, through all of that. And that provided some additional instruction. Then finally, and most surprisingly, um, we received some discipleship from our own children. Um, my oldest son, Matt, in a couple of different conversations, I remember them very clearly, um, really kind of spoke in very plain truths. 
you know, very much in black and white, you know, the bottom line is God is in control, and that's a lesson that, a discipling lesson that we received to him that I'll never forget, which only goes to show that you never really know who God will put in your life to disciple you. That is a story of, of, of a, a person receiving support from, from a Christian family, from, from others helping him during through a time that was, that was uh, challenging. And, and that, I'm sure, happens to many of you, too, if you could share your stories, if you could think back where, where someone came alongside you and, and, and just gave you guidance gave you counsel during a difficult time. That's the whole reason why we are called to be part of a family, of being a church together. We cannot be lone rangers because there are times when we can't do it all by ourselves. And those are the times that maybe sometimes we go kicking and screaming. We don't want to have somebody come alongside us, but God intends that to happen. And this doesn't just happen with individuals. Churches can come alongside each other, too, to help carry one another's burdens. So it's not just on an individual dynamic, but it can happen between churches. And that's one of our goals is to partner with other churches so that we can help each other carry our burdens. That is one of the great reasons why I, I took a chance to go visit Lighthouse Christian Church because in many ways, we have many, affili- uh, many affiliations with them. Uh, I had a chance to go sit in on their staff meetings and some of their small group meetings. I got to shadow a friend of mine while she was doing her ministry. And, and I knew it was something that God uh, had kind of appointed me to go do, because as I was sitting there, my friend asked me to provide counsel and, and guidance on some issues that they were going through that we have experienced here, and, and, and I was uh, blessed to be able to be a blessing to them. I also had a chance to sit in on one of their small groups, which is called uh, Impact, which is much like uh, maybe our Kingdom Fund um, group of people who, who oversee uh, our missions and how we spend uh, the money that we've We've designated to spend over these past three years of the Living Simply Giving Generously campaign of how to support social justice efforts with particular uh, organizations that we would like to partner with. And so I sat in with this small group that was up at this particular church, and they were having an issue where they wanted to mobilize their people to have a heart for social justice. And then I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I think we just did that (laughs) at our church. And I shared our experience and about the, the importance of engaging uh, our people in being part of that process. And that's why it's important to go through a particular curriculum in our small groups so that you could also learn alongside uh, each other about what it means to be people of generosity. And we were able to do that. And then as, as small groups, you were able to then... Um, figure out what particular groups you wanted to, to uh, organizations you wanted to support. And the church had an opportunity to encourage you by matching those things. And so when I was sharing that with, with uh, Lighthouse, they were, they were intrigued and they were inspired and they were excited about that concept of a church actually matching funds that, that the, the congregation members will want to give away. 
and that they found that that was something useful that they would probably implement in their church. So for me, that was an opportunity and evidence of that we would um, be able to um, support another church in their efforts to uh, implement and mobilize their congregation. I also, you know, when you discover these movements of God, they don't happen all by themselves. And as that was happening, um, Pastor Andrew was sharing a similar experience that, that Yan Chin was having with one of his friends, I believe, that he heard that one of his friends wanted to give to some organization um, that he wanted to support. Yan encouraged him, well, why don't you go through a, a material curriculum together with some of your friends, and then you could leverage that, multiply that by having you all go through what it means to be generous, and then as a group, increase your giving by, by being able to do it as a, a small group. So it's kind of neat that, that, that we could help other, other Christians in, in their efforts to, to live out the mission of God for them and be able to coach them through certain challenges that they would encounter in their, in their journeys. This is a, a great quote that uh, comes from Bill Hybels, who, who's the senior pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. And he says this, Think what a local church would be like if its people were radically devoted to Christ, irrevocably committed to each other, and relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside God's family with the gospel of Christ. It would be a church against which the gates of hell could not prevail. It would be an unstoppable force for good in the community, an inspiration to other churches, and a testimony to God's unfailing grace. That definition of what a church can be is something that I have seen here at Christian Layman Church. It is something that I have experienced just in the last couple of weeks. And that is my hope that we would be a church that God is seen, people are loved, and people's lives are changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what we're here for, and that's what we're all about. And that's the church I want us to be, and I hope us to be.